Hey everyone, how's it going? Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, this is our brand new computer that we just upgraded to for the webcast. It's a lot faster, so we should have a lot smoother streams. But as with everything, and as many of you who have done astrophotography, you can understand that it's always a driver. Always a driver or USB is what screws up everything. So anyway, that is all fixed. Uh, thank you very much for hanging out with us, waiting for this to get here. So uh, apologies for the delay. So without further ado, we're just gonna jump right in it. Uh, welcome to the What's Up webcast. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. Uh, and this is the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, if you like what you see here, go ahead and subscribe. It does help out the channel and keeps us doing these episodes. So if you enjoy what you see here, please uh, hit subscribe. And um, it, it definitely helps us out. So it, it keeps this going. Um, the What's Up webcast, we cover everything from what's up into the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks for observing and imaging. And at the last Friday of each month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. So um, with all that being said, um, it is Friday, uh, first Friday of the month, which means we're checking out what's up in the nighttime sky. And it's July. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, right now. So let's just dive right into it since we're... 15 minutes late starting. Uh, so first off is the big bright thing in the nighttime sky, the moon. Uh, we start with this every first of the month because that's the biggest and easiest thing to see for people. So um, the moon uh, obviously goes through phases. We have new moon being the darkest uh, portion of the month and then we have full moon being the brightest portion of the month. So. For many astronomers, the highlight of the month is new moon, where it's dark, getting out to a nice dark sky, doing some observing, seeing the Milky Way right now, and all kinds of other faint things in the nighttime sky. Um, so the new moon for this uh, month is July 9th, uh, so that's coming up. And the, that would make the dark sky weekend next weekend, so hopefully you can be making your plans. That would be the 10th and the 11th of the month. Uh, so if you don't have any plans, Now's the time to make it, get out to your favorite observing site. I would love to get out to a dark sky site, but here in Arizona, it's monsoon season and half the state's on fire. So that's just how it works. Uh, full moon for July is the 23rd. So a couple weeks out, uh, the moon is actually getting out of the nighttime sky as we move into the new moon phase where um, a couple weeks we'll get back to that big bright uh, full moon on July 23rd. Now, like I said, full moon, July 23rd. Uh, it is the Buck B, uh, B as in boy, uh, Buck moon. Um, this is basically where male deer antlers are pretty much full grown. And uh, that is the name of the month, uh, July's full moon. And other names, depending on which tribe or region that you're in, the full moon has its own name. Um, and these full moons can be, uh, the names do vary depending on region. Um, we also have the salmon moon, the berry moon. Um, and if you want to know where I get all these weird names, if you're not uh, really familiar with them, maybe you want to bring that up with 
um, an outreach event or something like that, and you want to know the folklore behind some of the, uh, the moon names, I go to a website called Farmer's Almanac. Um, I'm just going to bring up the whole thing here. Never mind. There we go. I uh, use Farmer's Almanac. Um, it's got all kinds of fun stuff in there. Um, where's the moon astronomy? Full moon calendar. It has all kinds of stuff in there um, that's kind of neat to, to talk about. But yeah, that's where I get all the names of the full moon. Um, it tells you some of the folklore behind it. That's That's what I use. So there you go. So that is the full moon occurring on July 23rd. So we've got a couple weeks out until it gets nice and bright in the sky uh, to see that and obstructs all those cool faint fuzzies that we want to see. But that is the full moon for the month. Next up, planets. Um, it's getting to be planet season again. Um, we've got a collection of them up. Uh, these uh, for the evenings. Uh, Venus right now, if you haven't been out, is easily naked eye visible in the western part of the sky just after sunset. It's currently in a gibbous phase, so it's it's quite bright. There's not a lot of detail that can be seen, um, but it is still a fun object to catch in telescopes, and uh, it'll be well visible for the entire month of July. Uh, I'm gonna bring up uh, where'd it go? Sorry, I'm still messing with this computer um let me bring up stellarium here because it was supposed to come up and it didn't so um let me bring up my little planets uh planisphere planetarium software can't think this morning there we go this was opened and the computer decided not to listen to me um uh, there we go sorry about that and let's get to the time. There we go. So this is about 8.30 this evening. Uh, we have Mars still visible um, in the western part of the sky. We'll talk about that next. Uh, but if we make this a little earlier, a little earlier, there we go. Venus is visible usually just after sunset. Um, you can catch that uh, in the western part of the sky. Big, bright, easy to see. I'm sure you've had many of your friends ask you, what's that weird thing in the west? Um, it's not a plane, not a UFO, it's Venus. Uh, but Venus is going to be visible for the next couple of months. So let me just uh, pan through here. It's going to be making its way to the west um, and getting much brighter. Uh, as it gets closer to us, but it will be shifting further and further to the west over the next few months as we move into August. So that's not going anywhere. It's going to get brighter as it gets closer. So let me get back to where we are now. But that is the planet Venus. It's a cool one to check out. Um, and yeah, just keep an eye on that for the upcoming months and check it out. Next up, like I said, we have Mars. Uh, Mars right now is pretty much finally at the end of its season. Um, it's really not in a good position to get anything out of it. It's been moving away from us for probably the last six months. Um, it was really good in the fall of 2020 and there's just not much to see anymore. It's, it's moved past its opposition. 
Um, it's moving away from us. It's also getting low in the western sky. There's not a lot of detail that can be seen, and now it's in a really crappy part of the sky because it's low. So we are finally wrapping up with the Mars season. We'll get it back in 2022. So if you missed Mars, you're just going to have to wait till next year to, to get a good shot at it again because we are finished with it. Um, however, now that we've talked about Venus and Mars, um, over the next week, uh, not this week, let me look at my calendar here, next weekend. So yeah, next weekend, the early part of the following week, the starting around the 12th, um, right after sunset, we're going to get a kind of a cool collection of conjunctions going on. Uh, if you don't know what a conjunction is, that's just a close, you know, collection of celestial objects. Um, let's see, we're going to get some cool stuff here. So Kodak moment, photo op, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, we're going to have the moon and Venus ultra thin crescent on the 11th. Um, probably easier to catch crescent on the 12th uh, but that's going to be kind of cool to be able to catch those two um, let me get this a little later but what we are missed there is the planet mars is actually going to be right next to venus very very close and over those few days um, so there it is on the 11th you're going to have a razor thin crescent uh, Venus and Mars right in a row, kind of a cool photo op there. That'll be right around eight o'clock. It's gonna be low, so make sure you have a good western horizon. I have this stupid virtual tree in the way, which I could, guess I could just sit here and virtually cut it down um, because it's in the way. So, landscapes, we'll just go to Mars. I live in Arizona, it looks the same. So, um, there we go. No more virtual tree, <laughs> gone. Um, see, other than the rover there, if you're in the middle of the desert here in Arizona, it looks very similar. So um, anyway, this is uh, what we're looking at on the 11th. So if you've got a cool uh, Western horizon there, you're gonna have an awesome uh, photo op there. Um, so you have the crescent moon, Venus, Mars, right in a row. Um, and then Mars and Venus will continue to be pretty close to each other. Um, for the next couple of days, probably throughout the week, but your closest shots are gonna be, um, you know, the 10th isn't bad, 11th's really good, 12th is amazing, uh, 13th not too bad, and then uh, they start moving away from each other as the month goes on, as Mars goes low, and Venus starts to head towards the west, like due west, so um, that's some of the uh, one cool conjunction that's uh, gonna be floating around um, in the next week or so. You get rid of that. So that's Mars. Um, glad it's gone. Tired of answering questions about a planet that there's not a lot of detail on. Unless it's close, then it's awesome. But when it's not close, it's not any fun to look at. Jupiter's back. Um, if you are up in the uh, later part of the evening, later part of the evening, actually Saturn's going to beat it first, but I do these in position from the sun, I guess I should have done it there. Um, this is late in the month, right around the 20th. Um, Jupiter's just starting to come into the nighttime sky um, in the late evening, right around 10 o'clock um, is when we're gonna start getting Jupiter at the end of the month. 
it's not really going to be high enough to really get some good viewing on it until late in the evening um, early in the month um, you're still looking at almost 11 o'clock by the time it's high enough to really get a nice view of it um, but that's Jupiter. Jupiter is finally back in the uh, later evening skies. So there you go. Now, my favorite planet, of course, many of others, is Saturn. Saturn is actually um, heading Jupiter right now. Um, so it's up a little bit earlier. Let's rewind here, not that far. Um, so right around 10 o'clock in the eastern part, you can get Saturn. It's sitting out there in the east. Um, by the end of the month, it's going to be, let's go all the way to the end of the month, um, you know, by, it's above the horizon by 8, by 9 o'clock, you can start probably getting some nice views of it, um, and by 10 o'clock, you're, you're in a very good position to start viewing Saturn, so as we move into July, we'll get some of our, you know, real stunning planets back in the nighttime sky, and as we get into August, it'll be very good time to start catching um, some of those planets. But uh, Jupiter and Saturn are gonna be the major you know, planetary jewels, and they're gonna be basically hanging out with each other this season. Um, Saturn will be trailing Jupiter, and of course, as we move into later into the year, they're gonna start getting closer to each other. I believe there is gonna be a conjunction to some extent, obviously not what we did in December that was like once in a lifetime, but they're gonna be hanging out really close to each other over the next few months, and they're just starting to make their way into the nighttime sky um, this month, and even better and more visible for people to see um, at a more convenient time by the end of the month around 10 o'clock. So that is Jupiter and Saturn. And that kind of wraps it up for the planets, but at least we're getting some naked eye planets back it's a fun one to share especially if you just got your telescope for the holidays and this is like your first year of astronomy um now we're getting to that season where we've got some cool stuff to to see in the the world of planets so you know something something kind of cool there all right the sun um i don't change these slides uh because it's kind of the same thing activity on the sun is increasing but slowly uh, you got some good prominences and active regions, but nothing major currently. They, it just pops up every now and again. So it's, it's something that you kind of just got to pay attention to. And it's, you know, again, it's just, you got to pay attention to it. And the way I go about it is, uh, it's also good for sketching and imaging and stuff like that, but the way I look at it is I go to this website, I Google Gong H Alpha, um, and this shows you the current, what's going on in Hydrogen Alpha. Um, the sun has a fair amount of detail going on right now, nothing monumental, um, but we do have a nice sunspot region right here. Um, there's a good active region there, some filaments right now. This is current. Uh, this is from Chile. Uh, this one was updated about four, oh, there we go, two, about three minutes ago. This updates very, very quickly. Um, so if you're looking to do some solar observing, particularly in hydrogen alpha, highly recommend it. Um, this is the website I use to see if it's worth hauling out all the gear to take a look at if it's not set up. Um, but the sun is kicking up, so it's definitely worth checking out. There's a lot of cool detail up there right now. 
Um, here's a sharper one. You can see there's a ton of detail in this active region around the sunspot right there. So some nice prominences are visible. Um, these filaments, if you have like a double stack filter or a narrower uh, band pass, um, there's some cool filaments um, there. So some good stuff up here, small active region there and there. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff happening on the sun right now, especially in hydrogen alpha. If you do have a white light filter, you can catch the sunspot. So there's kind of something for everyone up right now as far as the sun goes, but it's um, definitely uh, a good time to get out and observe the sun unless you live where I live or Oregon. Um, it's just too hot. So, but you get out there early. Generally observing the sun I would do before 11 a.m. Uh, because the seeing is generally fairly stable early in the morning, uh, but do double check if you want the best seeing conditions. Um, double check like your seeing monitors and stuff like that on like clear sky clocks to see when the seeing is generally best to get the sharpest image of the sun. Um, and then wear sunscreen because solar astronomy is the only carcinogenic form of astronomy. So um, there you go. So that's the sun. Meteor showers. Um, there's not a lot going on right now. This is all leading up to August, which has the premier Perseid meteor shower. But uh, this month we have the Delta Aquarians. Uh, you're looking at the 28th and 29th. The moon's going to be pretty bright around there. Um, we only get about 10 to 20 meteors per hour. It's best viewed before dawn, but you're going to have to compete with the sun uh, there. So this one's not going to be mind blowing. Um, but if you do find yourself out and about, um, there's something to uh, take a look at um, if you're going to be out there. But yeah, there's not a lot to see uh, for the Delta Aquarians. It is a smaller meteor shower, not super bright. And then of course, when you're competing with a bright moon, it's going to be hard so uh, but hopefully next month I haven't looked at the details but we're looking at the Perseid meteor shower next month which is the premier meteor shower of the year um, so hopefully the details uh, for that will be better we'll check that out next month in August comets um, there's no reason for me to do slides on comets because they change so often and this is what I use let me get rid of all of this uh, this is called cometchasing.skyhound.com. gives you a list and details of all the current visible comets. Um, it's really the best website that I've found, um, and it breaks it down really nicely. Um, we start with the Northern Hemisphere comets. This is basically a list of all the recommended comets that are visible right now, and then gives you some minor details about those comets or comets that might be of interest coming up. And then if you scroll down a little bit, the ones that are visible right now, it's gonna give you more detail about you know, where it's visible depending on the latitude, um, you know, magnitude that they're visible at, and then kind of what telescopes you could use right now. Um, they normally start with the brightest comet visible and then work their way down. And then it does switch to Southern Hemisphere as well as you move down. Um, so keep an eye depending on where you're, you're living. Um, but What's also cool about this is they give you these really nice detailed star charts. They do a really good job here. So this is C2020 T2 Palomar. Um, I believe it said this is a 10.5 magnitude. So you're looking at probably a six inch telescope from a nicer dark sky. Um, 
and it's not visible in super far north latitudes um, but as you move further south um, so it looks like for most of the continental US uh, down here you'd be able to catch some at twilight it is near Virgo it's between Virgo and Buddhist so you should be able to catch it um, I don't think it's a very big comet but you could take a look at that maybe snap a picture of that with your imaging gear uh, but that's a pretty good uh, comet that's up that actually looks to be the brightest comet that's visible right now because then after that well I guess this one would be 10.2 um, would be that um, and you have 10.5 but then you dip into almost 11th and 13th magnitude on these where you're gonna need bigger you know 12 inch plus um, instruments and you'll just have to pay attention at the time because a lot of time comets are visible right after dusk and right before sunrise is the best time to be hunting comets um, because of their positioning and how the sun lights them up. But um, this gives you the details on all of the current visible comets. So if you like comets and you like observing them, this is where I would go to see what's currently out there and what's you know maybe worth taking a look at. Um, or you can find your own comet. Um, but I haven't found one either. So, but yeah, this is where I would go to check out comets. So that's it for the comet weather of the day. And now we're done with that. Deep sky. It is a crazy collection of objects. I could go forever on deep sky targets. Of course, right now we have the Milky Way. The summer Milky Way is up. You're heading to dark skies. I mean, this is really the premier thing this time of year. So let me bring up Stellarium here real quick. Um, if you're in a nice dark sky in the next week or two, um, the Milky Way is coming up. You know, it's it's visible right after sunset practically. Let me. So there's eight o'clock. By nine o'clock, you know, it's dark. This is rising in the east. You've got the Milky Way core. Um, let me back this. Uh, oop, oop, there we go um but yeah as we move towards you know new moon weekend so next weekend you know by 10 o'clock it's it's like premier milky way season right now um you've got scorpio and sagittarius all the cool gems of the summer milky way are going to be hanging out up here you have m24 the sagittarius star cloud m17 the swan 16 the eagle you have m8 the lagoon m20 the tripid nebula you move down here i think you've got like this is i believe this is m7 right down here uh, you've got the false comet uh, which is right down here in the uh, tail uh, i forgot the name of this ic or ngc nebula that's a part of the false comet um oh it's right there that's uh, uh, gonna let me click on it Ever. Um, but that's the false comet down in Scorpio's tail. Um, there's all kinds of cool stuff as well as the dark nebulas and of course the Rho Ophiuchus nebula uh, region around Antares. There's all kinds of amazing things up in the Milky Way or you can just do wide field Milky Way. You know, grab yourself a 14, 20, 24 millimeter lens, a star tracker like our star adventurer. Um, and go out and take some cool Milky Way shots and share them with us. Um, but there's a ton of stuff up and it's gonna be up for the next couple months. Uh, the summer Milky Way really dominates the nighttime sky. I mean, let's just, we're in July right now. August 
it's you know right after dark it's overhead september and pretty much into october um, you have a good chunk of the milky way visible um, so for the next couple months it's going to be some awesome stuff to see especially if you get to dark skies so definitely worth it it's milky summer milky way season there's a lot of people that say it's milky way season um it's also in the winter it's just not as bright and detailed as the summer is but it's worth it as far as objects go you know you can never go wrong with m57 the ring nebula um that's in the constellation of lyra the harp it's about 1400 light years away it's an easy pick at a six inch aperture telescope um, I remember finding it my first time with a six inch telescope in my front yard years ago. So if you have, you know, you just got a six or eight inch telescope like a daub um, and you want to go check out an easy planetary, the ring nebula is excellent um, to see. Uh, if you want to get structure and the central star, you're really going to need probably about a 14 inch telescope or bigger. Um, it's like 15th magnitude, so it's relatively hard to see. Some magnification would be nice on that. Um, if you're planning to image the Ring Nebula, it is small. It's a tiny target, um, so I'd probably recommend about a thousand millimeter focal length. And uh, like I said, you can easily find it. Um, doesn't take a lot of, let me too far. Um, it's right up here. You find the, let's actually find this. Boop constellations and just for the heck of it labels um you're gonna find the bright star vega and then you'll find the box uh just below vega and then opposite that you're gonna have uh i believe it's shiliac and sulfat i could butcher that all day long um you're gonna find those two stars basically opposite the const or opposite vega on the opposite end of the constellation about halfway between those two stars you're going to find M57, uh, the Ring Nebula. So that's a really fun one to look for, um, but it can be difficult to catch. You just want to make sure you take your time. It can look like a star if you're not if you're going too quick, but um, if you go slow, visually looking for it, you will notice it's more of a ghostly looking, you know, cheerio looking thing as opposed to the pinpoint or stellar. Uh, appearing objects in the rest of the field but that's a great object to to look for at this time of year um, another real showstopper very easy to find probably one of the best objects for a beginner is m13 the hercules star cluster uh, constellation is hercules of course about 22,000 light years away roughly about a million stars you can see this naked eye from a dark sky it looks like a little fuzzy um, but it's easily visible um, in most observing conditions, even with small optics like a 50 millimeter pair of binoculars. Um, but the bigger the telescope, the more impressive that it gets. Um, it does have this really unique little feature in here. There's little, three little dark lanes in there. It's called the propeller. Um, that's kind of a fun uh, little detail to see inside of uh, M13 as well as its little companion. It's not technically a companion because it sits millions of light years behind the cluster, but you can see the smaller galaxy there. Um, if you've got a big enough telescope, probably about 12 inch or bigger in good dark skies, you can get that uh, detail in there. Um, for imaging, really any focal length around 500 or longer was gonna do a nice shot. I think this was done with like a C14 Hyperstar and that was like, 700 or so millimeter i have to do the math again but um 
six to eight hundred millimeters with a smaller chip this worked really well um, but it's a really easy object to shoot even if you're in a light polluted location if you're looking for something to do imaging wise that's easy that light pollution won't affect the shot a whole bunch um, m13 is a great imaging uh, target to to get this time of year and it's really well positioned right now in the northern hemisphere practically straight up after dark it's a little bit past zenith actually that's right here um, so the way to find it is to find hercules the hero and then find the four body stars this is making the box of the body that's called the keystone um, and then you find corona borealis and basically that loops you around and points you right to the cluster so it's a fun one to learn how to star hop as well if you don't have go to uh, highly recommend learning the constellations and learning how to star hop um, but it's a very easy object to catch and it's a good one to share with the family because it's impressive and it's easy to find and it's it's not tremendously difficult to to see something that's so far away and kind of unique so that is m13 uh m27 the dumbbell is very similar to the ring nebula uh the ring nebula however we're looking right down the center of the nebula where m27 we're looking from the side is how they're positioned um I like to call it the apple core nebula because if you actually look at it in a telescope it looks like an apple core um, all this faint detail these wings um, are really more of an imaging uh, target there um, this is 1360 light years away in the constellation of Volpeca, just just below alberio um, not too far from alberio in the constellation of cygnus it's a pretty easy one to find um, so let's see i just said that now i can't find it there it is um so yeah you find uh deneb then go up there's alberio volpeca is this amazing constellation of a line two stars um drop down from volpeca just above sagittia the arrow um you'll find that um, it might take a little hunting. It's a lot bigger than the uh, ring nebula is though. So it's a lot easier to find. I, I find it's easier to see in like a finder scope because of its size being so much bigger. Um, you can see it in a 50 millimeter finder. Um, filters for this as well as like the ring nebula if you're in like a light polluted sky and you need a little bit of extra punch to get through the light pollution uh, an oxygen 3 filter is excellent or an ultra high contrast or uhc uh, is a very good filter as well for those nebulas so that's what i would recommend for looking at these objects visually um, in a dark sky site they really don't need much assistance um, especially the dumbbell nebula it's very impressive in like a six inch telescope or bigger and then if you have some serious aperture it gets you know you just get more of that molting detail in it and then the central star is a bit easier to see on this one than the ring nebula is imagers um this one's good in visible light like red lrgb or a color camera it's also excellent target for narrow band uh, this is a bicolor image just oxygen 3 and hydrogen alpha and you can actually see those wings there the wings are primarily double ionized oxygen so you want to use an o3 filter and probably a fair amount of exposure time for the o3 channel uh, to bring that out 
um, or some really good luminance uh, data if you're going to be shooting this in color. So I would wait till new moon or dark skies to get, like, if you're doing LRGB, good luminance data on it. Or if you're shooting in town, then a, a set of nice narrowband filters will help you get a good shot. So um, that would work. Um, yes, uh, Jupiter, um, if you have a filter, filter, um, those generally screw on the bottom of your eyepiece uh, there. So you should be able to just get that filter and thread it on the bottom and that'll help. Uh, I would like to note uh, oxygen three filters tend to cut a fair amount of light out. So you'd probably wanna have an eight inch telescope or bigger to really take advantage of these filters. Um, but they're, they're a must have in my opinion for any visual astronomer who likes doing deep sky is the O3 filter and the UHC filter. And then of course you can get an H beta filter down the road, um, but the UHC and O3s are a must um, in my opinion, if you're actually real serious about deep sky observing, especially if you've got a big telescope to back them up. I highly, highly, highly recommend those uh, filters. All right, the Triffid Nebula, one of my favorite nebulas in the nighttime sky. It's in Sagittarius, not far from the Lagoon Nebula. Uh, this is 5,200 light years away. It's an excellent object for a six inch telescope and larger. Um, it's actually a little bit more impressive if you could get to darker skies and have a probably a 15 inch telescope, 12 inch telescope or bigger, um, just because some of the details in there are fainter. Um, and it is low on the south, so having that extra punch is very helpful. Um, it's a very nice imaging object. It's in a very complex star field. There's a lot of dark nebulas in this region, a lot of stars. Um, there's a lot of nebulosity in there, but then this uh, nebula has a bunch of other detail in it. So um, I'm actually gonna bring the full resolution shot in here. Um, so this is the uh, Trippid Nebula. We shot this a couple weeks ago, actually. It was taken on an Esprit 150 triplet with a ZWO 6200 uh, monochrome camera uh, with chroma LRGB filters, a uh, few hours of exposure time. But what's cool about uh, the Trippid Nebula is it basically has all three types of nebulas in it. The pink portion of the nebula is the emission nebula or the star forming region, the blue, um, which you can actually see almost encompasses the entire nebula itself, is a reflection nebula. So it's dust that starlight is reflecting off of. And then you have the dark uh, lanes in there. Those are dark nebulas. That actually is a Barnard nebula or B nebula. I wanna say it's B86, but I could be incorrect. Dark nebulas are really great this time of uh, year because you do have the Milky Way arms visible right now. There's all kinds of cool things uh, visible right there, um, but the Triffid is an awesome, awesome object to check out. So highly recommend uh, checking that out. Uh, you are going to want to make sure that your telescope is corrected with the field flattener because of how complex the star field is. You're going to know really, really quick that your positioning or spacing on your corrector is wrong um, if you do not have that correct right now with because of how complex the star fields are. So. That's the Trifid Nebula. It is a great narrow band. Um, if you wanna do like a Hubble palette, HA03S2, you could do something crazy like that. But it's it's a really nice object just in natural color. Um, there's so much 
elegant detail in here that it's definitely worth it. So that is the Trifid Nebula or M20, uh, one of my favorites. Um, however, my favorite object of all time is the Veil Nebula. Uh, the Veil Nebula is in the constellation of Cygnus the Swan. It's about 2,000 light years away. It is a supernova remnant, so massive star died long ago, detonating, shedding out all this material out into space. Um, you do need about a six inch telescope if you really want to get the best detail in the each portion of the Veil Nebula because it is a very large nebula covering about three and a half degrees. Um, so uh, very, very cool uh, nebula. You can see this in like a four inch telescope from dark skies. And if you have a very wide field of view telescope that gives you a large chunk of sky, about three degrees, uh, you can get the whole uh, view of it. And it's an amazing imaging target. Um, I'm actually going to show you a mosaic that I've been working on using our Esprit 150 and the ZWO6200 camera. Um, this is a, a project I'm still working on. Um, I think this is one, two, three, four, five, six or seven panel mosaic right now. I think this is like a 350 megapixel image. Um, right now, this is just the luminance channel for this shot. I'm going to colorize it, and then I'll share it with everybody later. Uh, I might add a few more panels, but um, ran out of time, basically, um, to get all my luminance data last month. So now we've got to go back and finish up um, some of this stuff. But this is the entire Veil Nebula complex, as opposed to the uh, portion I've got right there. Uh, this is the Western Veil. Um, this right here is a bright naked-eyed star. Uh, let me actually pull this up so you know where it's at. This is in the constellation of Cygna, uh, Cygnus, um, right down here on the eastern wing of Cygnus. Um, you're gonna find this bright star, and then there's a, another bright star, 52 Cygni, which is naked eye, which is this one right here. If you can find 52 Cygni, you can find the Veil Nebula um, and the massive complex that it actually is. So, um, like I said, this image is huge, 350 megapixel shot. Um, um, so at 1.4 arc seconds per pixel. Um, so this is 52 Cygni. This is just luminance data. Um, this was shot at a Bortle 2 sky, so very, very dark sky as well. Um, but what's fantastic about this nebula is how complex and elegant some of the details here in this nebula are. Um, so this is actually broken up into a couple pieces. You have the Western Veil Nebula, um, and then you have the Eastern Veil, also called the Network Nebula. This is, you need about three and a half degrees to get this whole field of view with about uh, a UHC or an O3 filter. You wanna have low power eyepieces for this, even in a daub or, uh, you know, probably something like a 30, 30, 35 millimeter eyepieces, you know, wide field, something because you want low power. Um, dark skies would be recommended. If you get to a dark sky and have a, like a 12 inch telescope or something like that, what's really cool about this is you can start to see a lot of these little streamers and filaments in this nebula. It's a very complex region. Um, then of course you have the second part here that's Pickering's Triangle, um, which is more of that, you know, supernova remnant and then of course you have the um, network nebula 
or the Eastern Vale right next door. Um, but a lot of this just looks like paint strokes, like very, very delicate um, detail. But if you have the advantage of getting a very large telescope, like a 20 inch on it, a lot of these little details are visible from a very dark sky. It's really impressive. Uh, one of my favorite regions of the nighttime sky because of how complex and uh, elegant a lot of these details are. So you could spend a fair amount of time observing this. Um, take a wide field telescope, get the whole thing, or take a big telescope and actually take a tour of the veil showing all the major pieces of the night of that nebula right there. So that's NGC 6960 over here and you have NGC 6992-95 slash a bunch of other NGCs over here and then Pickering's Triangle and all these other little marked uh, pieces that are part of the Veil Nebula. But that is the Veil Nebula right there. Um, it does really well in hydrogen alpha. So if you wanna image this from home, an H alpha filter and a narrow O3 filter would work, but even a black and white image with H alpha, it's amazing. Um, or if you're in a dark sky, a really nice color image of this would be excellent. So that is the Veil Nebula right there. The entire complex of the Veil, uh, good luck. So, okay. Um, we're gonna get on to some stranger things. Um, so we've been hanging around in the Milky Way right here. And a lot of us, I think this time of year, including myself up to a couple weeks ago, um, are normally so busy looking at Scorpio and Sagittarius, um, Ophiuchus, Cygnus, you know, we still have Hercules and, and we still have like Virgo and or some major. There's all these crazy things that are up right now that are just like eye candy objects. And there's half a dozen um, objects I didn't even mention in this presentation because there's so much stuff up um, right now. But there's all kinds of amazing things that are visible right now. However, on the northern part of the sky, especially if you're an imager and you're looking for some really challenging, faint, oddball stuff, um, you want to step over to the constellation of Cepheus. Um, hero and Cepheus just sits behind Deneb it's not far from the northern pole around Polaris but around 10 o'clock Cepheus is getting high enough to where you can start imaging a lot of the targets in this region and Cepheus is just off the uh, plane of the Milky Way but there's a lot of dusty strange dark reflection nebulas in this area that are very complex and very challenging objects to work with and even capture. Um, you could try doing these visually, uh, but they are going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, the first one is uh, NGC 7023, the Iris Nebula, um, about 1300 light years away. Um, you can probably see this with a six inch telescope. This is one of the easier objects in this region to see visually because it has this bright reflection portion in the center of it. But all this really faint dust, um, if you're a very advanced, very careful observer, you might be able to pick up some of these faint dusty details in there, but it takes a lot of time. And I would recommend holding the telescope and moving it back and forth to watch what moves with the field. Um, but you might be able to pick up some of these really faint, uh, dusty, uh, 
nebulas that are floating out in here. These are molecular clouds, um, very complex uh, nebulas with all kinds of material inside of them. Um, but very cool. Most of the constellation of Cepheus is filled with this stuff. Um, so if you ever take a really wide uh, field shot of this area, like the whole constellation, you'd see all kinds of these molecular clouds floating around in that region. So it's a really cool part of the sky. A lot of people think this is a fall uh, constellation, but by the time, you know, fall comes around, Cepheus is already, you know, high in the sky and almost setting um, in some places. It's, it's moving towards setting. It's past the meridian, so it's on the western part of the sky it's setting. But what I've actually found on accident was if you want to start really imaging these things and getting a good project going, now would be the time to actually start while the, uh, the constellation is still rising. And you've got most of the night to actually shoot this uh, region of the sky. But a lot of people are so busy observing all these highlight targets, and for good reason, you miss the constellation of Cepheus and a lot of the neat things that are inside of there. Um, so just something to something I kind of found over the last couple of weeks while I was imaging. I didn't think this was up, but I was actually surprised it was, so I uh, shot this. Now, if you want something very similar that's even more complex in the same region, you can get into the LDN nebulas. Um, this is 1235, the Shark Nebula. I only have the head of it. Um, it actually is quite long so you really want a wider field if you could you know probably something like this is a thousand millimeters with a full frame sensor you know probably something like a 600 millimeter focal length with at least like a four-thirds sensor um, dark skies you could get this whole portion it's got some really nice reflection nebulas in there from these uh, stars that are lighting up some of the dust in there again a very complex uh, region it's very faint this is probably something that you need to image from, a, actually, you have to image this from a dark sky site. Um, these types of nebulas, these molecular clouds, only really pop when you have a strong luminance uh, layer um, in there. Narrowband filters, these are invisible. You might be able to pick up a little bit in hydrogen, but they really don't emit light in that frequency. So. Um, you have to just have dark skies uh, for these types of nebulas. Um, you could try seeing these visually, but these are going to be a really big challenge. Um, I would recommend exceptionally dark skies and high altitude locations for really good uh, um, clarity of the nighttime sky. Um, you, you need to make sure that everything is on your side to get um, something like this as they are very challenging. And if you're trying to image this from the city, uh, I could see how a gradient would, you know, from city lights or some weird gradient in your image would really affect some of this stuff. And there's so much dust and uh, faint detail in here. Let me just actually bring up the actual picture here. Um, it almost looks like there's a gradient in here, but it's not. It's all dust. So you want to be very careful when you're processing these images. A lot of people will set their black point. Um, if you're an astrophotographer, you know what that means. But you'll set your black point to the darkest part, and you'll lose all this really elegant, faint detail that's in there. So you want to be careful when you're working with these molecular cloud shots up in Cepheus. 
um, and other regions that you don't kill off the really faint details that are in here because it takes a lot of work to get these images. You want to bring out as much detail and it can be difficult to balance out the brighter regions with these faint dust details, but yeah, doing um, on this. So uh, that is the Shark LDN uh, 1235. Uh, go for it. Challenge target of the month. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, that's pretty much it for uh, the webcast today. Uh, thanks very much for putting up with all the technical crap. Um, new computer, I think we're done with all of it. Uh, if you like what you see here, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Um, you can still reach us at support at skywatcherusa.com. I do have to update that. It should be info at skywatcherusa.com if you're writing about the webcast. But if you have any questions or comments, uh, go ahead and uh, let us know. Uh, we have a lot of cool things coming up uh, this month. Um, you know, we've got some cool speakers that are lined up. We have updated everything out until I think September. So if you go to uh, the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel, you can see all of our upcoming episodes. Um, we've got a lot of people lined up, a lot of cool episodes. I'm gonna bring this up real quick. If you're not sure where to go, uh, for this, you're going to go to the Skywatcher USA channel. And of course, we have our videos. They're all there, right there. Um, but if you want to see what's coming up, um, you want to hit upcoming live streams. And then that'll show you the schedule. So next week, we're talking about the Evo Guide 50DX, um, our little 50 millimeter APO. After that, we're doing the SkyX uh, from Software BIS. That's the software we use. Uh, monochrome versus color cameras. That should be a really good one. Um, we have Dr. Vishnu Reddy. Um, need to fix that actually. Vishnu Reddy from University of Arizona. Um, flex tube dobs are coming up. Optical cleaning. We're going to do an episode on that. Uh, my buddy Gil Esquierdo, uh, who is a um, observer at Mount Hopkins on the 60 inch telescope, he will be there um, in September. Wait. August, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself. And then we got September Night Skies, EQAR and Livestack for Outreach. And we have Steven Bisk from Software Bisk as our presenter at this time uh, for the end of September, I believe is what we've got there. So um, lots of stuff lined up. Uh, but again, thanks for joining us on this Friday morning. Thanks for putting up with our technical issues and we will see you guys next Friday, um, New Moon Weekend. And uh, we'll see you then. So have a good weekend. Stay safe. Don't blow your hand off. Happy 4th of July. And we will see you guys next week. Take care, everyone.